0: I am of the
1: Gens Julii. Who could afford to purchase my honor? If one day I become your enemy, I will tell you, and I will tell you why.
2: Hello everyone, welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip and this is my good friend Jeremy. How's it going, dude? It's going very well. It's going it, very, very yeah, well? Yeah. Better I'm than a great day. Pretty well, but it's going very well.
0: Yeah, I think so. Tell me why. Not Backstreet Boys. tell me why, but just tell me just why. Just regular. Going, yeah. Um I I had a great day i've been getting more sleep than i have for a couple weeks i feel so i just feel fresh relaxed um, accomplished i've been getting caught up on on some to-do lists that i had floating in the back of my mind just all the good reasons okay now tell me why backstreet boys style no
2: (laughs) i thought you were gonna do it (laughs) But tell me why like i thought can you give me one of
0: those real fast i can do the dance you can do the dance well i'm not going to oh well when did you learn that? That could be like uh, Future in, in dance class in high school Seriously? hmm That was yeah. Really? Yeah Did you perform it? It was the eras you Remember Didn't you guys have a module for that? Where the dance rep class Would come and actually Actually teach the different era modules I have no idea What you're talking about Oh We went to high school together So yeah, yeah So this is why we're talking Okay So let's go to the it crown. was a thing
2: we're, we're gonna talk about The crown jewel <laughs> Of Hail Reaper America's favorite segment Nerd talk up top Access Access granted Last week, you didn't have anything nerdy that you were, you've been into lately or something that you've been nerding out on. No. This week, I said, you have to bring something to the table. You have to talk nerd
0: with me. Mm-hmm. So what's the nerdy thing you're bringing today? Well, I was going through the closet and <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> I found, I don't remember if it's Pampers or Huggies, but it's essentially a baby wipes box from the early 90s. Okay. And I got it from my mom to store my NFL pencils collection.
2: Wow. Yeah. And so you're reprising this collection? Are you going, you're going to collect more now or well, what? Well, what
0: it made me think about was the original intent was that I was housing my my pencil war pencils in there. Did you ever pencil war? I have no idea what pencil war is. Oh, it was amazing. It was basically like you and I have a pencil and then whoever... Who, whomever has the pencil that breaks the first, oh, first. Is it,
2: are you like hitting it like against? You like, other?
0: yeah, you leverage it and then snap it.
2: Oh, I've seen that before. So like, you'll you'll take yeah.
0: the eraser out and like sharpen the end of it. Yeah, and yeah. Try to like hack. people's gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, you do all kinds of things like so you use NFL pencils for this. Well, I did at the time. Yeah, my old uh, Houston Oilers pencil, <laughs> <laughs> a team that no longer exists. <laughs> well, why not use yeah, that one, right? Uh, for sure. I
2: think that's the yeah if i were to i i would want to use power rangers ones i feel like i would have their powers yeah in that that process. would work yeah it,
0: yeah i was i was thinking about just like those throwbacks like pencil wars and pogs and all those pogs. things in life
2: yeah slammers and pogs dude yeah my son
0: owns my collection now does he really mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> wow i don't know where my pogs went they probably just got tossed because i've moved a lot as a kid so i don't i mean there's just stuff like all over the West Coast of yeah. I lived in Oregon, Washington, and California, so there's things that probably just went to the tr- into the trash can.
0: I just I feel terrible for future generations that don't know what pogs are. don't now. know what pogs are. Yeah, it's it's a sad day. It's uh, a sad d- look at have amazing. a moment of silence for those who don't know what pogs are. Okay,
2: okay, that's it. All right, let's go ahead and transition to what we're here for today. Um, let's just give a quick recap. We've been doing this every time, so I apologize to everyone that's listened to. You. All the episodes, this is episode six in our series of the Dream of EO. Um, We've been basically, we started with that that prologue episode and then um, which then we discovered and went or rather went into episodes two through now were looking at Pierce Brown's last sentence inside of uh, the Morningstar book. And it was in the epilogue and talks about the rage varies, the strength of Ragnar, the honor of Cassiness, the love of several and now we're uh, today we're at the loyalty of victor so mm-hmm. these are all components of the dream of eo and they're all brought forward by this specific character so it's again it's highlighting that character and highlighting the quality that they usher forward to the story um so we're, obviously we say this word a lot but i'm gonna use it again excited to talk about Victra, ready to do it talk about loyalty um anything you want to add to that before we kind of take a break and jump in
0: no, I think we mentioned it kind of at the close of last episode that, you know, Victra is one that we've wanted to cover for a while. Yeah. And um, that's what kind of validates your excitement, so.
2: Yeah, well, Victra and then the Ragnar episode two is two characters that we've just barely
0: touched on. Yeah, as we love as them, a, but yeah. they just haven't come up.
2: They haven't come up in the right way. We wanted mm-hmm. to make sure we saved them and we were able to talk about them and really just kind of put our, our, our feelings out there. So we'll do that in a minute. We're gonna take a, a few minute break here and we'll be back in a second.
1: If you're seeking legal counsel or in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Tarrigian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. Now, the great thing about Tarrigian Law is that there's no doublespeak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Call 559-627-5399. Or visit tarikianlaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. Or call 559-627-5399. Tarikian Law. The advice you need minus the BS.
2: Jeremy, we're back from break to discuss... The loyalty of Victor, or more so really to start to discuss what loyalty means to the dream of EO. And our conversation w- on our pre-show went really differently than I imagined. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we actually started with this, you know, red rising focused topic with loyalty and, and we're looking at it through the prism of the books. But yet when we started talking about loyalty, we were asking ourselves questions that were more global, they're bigger. And a question you proposed was is loyalty a good quality or a negative quality? And I was like, I, I had to wrestle with that, I had to ponder it because I've never thought about it in like binary terms of is it a good thing or a bad thing? I've always just thought like loyalty is a pretty good thing to have. It's a good thing to like, you know, side yourself with. But when you brought that to the table, we really had to wrestle with it. So you and I kind of batted that conversation back and forth and you presented, um, I think a really good nuanced take of what loyalty is. I'd like you to share that now.
0: Yeah, you know, with the other qualities, and, and you mentioned them right before the break, um, it was really kind of, they had two sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was a side that we wanted to present and put forward as encapsulating the dream of you, And then there was a, a more face value side that we felt did disservice and actually pointed away from that dream. Um, and that's what made me think about that question regarding loyalty. And the more I thought about it, the more I was wondering... You know, is it good or bad? And and I think what I came up with was, it's both, and mm-hmm. it's neither, and it's either or, and, and all those kind yeah. of things. And it's like, you know, if if I am loyal to my employer, you know, that can be a huge benefit for me. You know, that can be a strength. But then if they begin to treat me poorly, if they begin to uh, take advantage of me, like that same loyalty can be a detriment it can be it can turn into a toxic uh relationship Mm -hmm. and so i think that loyalty at its you know inside of its own definition you can't judge its its whether it's good or bad but i think it really just uh is reliant upon um the object of that loyalty
2: yeah it's like it's reliant on what you're attaching loyalty to Mm -hmm. like loyalty is not in itself just a good or bad thing. Because you said like it's it's neither, it's either or. It just depends on what where it's going, where it's funneling. So you and I then pivoted their conversation of is loyalty good or bad? And we started holding it up against certain characters in the story, and not like the prominent figureheads that you would think of when you think of Red Rising, but some of them were minor minor characters that do shape the story quite a bit though. They frame up this idea of loyalty. And the first one that we wanted to hold that idea up to was Dancer, Mm -hmm. Um, really interesting character. And in a a lot of ways, I've always thought of Dancer, especially in the first two books, as someone that like was your guy, you know, like as a reader, like he had your back, he had Darrow's back, he was on the side of the rising. He wanted to move forward and make this world a better place. He believed in the dream of Io, like he was down for it all the way. But then by the third book, you kind of see this change in the character. Like the story of Red Rising almost starts passing him by. And he has this moment where you come back from the ice, rather you come back from the ice with Mustang and and, and you know Ragnar's past sadly, Mustang, Darrow and Holiday come back and they're kind of all having a meeting, they're merging. So this new character Mustang is brought into the fold of the rising now and Dancer, Kind of, she mentions something about the war, and then Dancer snaps back at her. And says like, "It's not your war, Gold." Like, right. really, like, whoa, like, and that that one line makes you question where the loyalty lies. Is it to the dream, or is the loyalty to like the Sons of Aries or to the group, to just Reds? Um, I know you had some thoughts on that too, because you were the one who proposed the character. So, what what kind of things were you taking away from that?
0: Yeah, when I thought about Dancer, you know, you you. I think we often think that loyalty, you know, you think of it in a perspective of to a person, like Victor is loyal to Darrow, mm-hmm. you know, but I think the object of dancer's loyalty is specific to the Reds, and I think in a in a progression of up, particularly, mm-hmm. and at first, I, I whether this is a hot take or not, like I personally think that it kind of guises the fact that. Um, he's not particularly loyal to, uh, the sons of Ares or anything of that nature, but more just toward his people just on an upward trajectory. Mm. And what ends up happening in the liability with that is that now, again, we're talking like context of the third book, right? So Uh, Inside Morningstar, you know, all of society is still um, quite prejudiced and and things like that, but inside of the rising itself, and and you made great mention of that meeting and his comment toward Mustang, because everyone did have a quality, you know, Darrow comes out as a red, of course, reds Mm -hmm. have equal standing with everybody, but he doesn't change as a character, he still has that, I continue to want red to gain power. And we talked about it. Uh, I think it was last episode where you end up with this this turning the pyramid upside down, mm-hmm. right? And and a then a reverse oppression. Like you know, you've had your time in the sun, and now it's our turn to oppress you. And that's the pitfall that I, I believe that dancer falls into. I don't think he's as far on that scale as a harmony would be,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Where I think their loyalties are different as well. I think I think uh, harmony is particularly loyal just to power. Yeah right but i think that the trend exemplifies the same like problematic uh ending for sure and i think yeah they're both like, characters that you want to root for i i was so invested
2: in both characters honestly in their early stages of red rising um you know cuz you they're in chapter 7 i believe and then chapter 8 you subsequently meet both of them and you think like these are our dudes like these are the ones that are going to like I think of Mighty Ducks too, where you're like the whole I love like every scene 90s movie with like the scene of like Let's get the gang together and what's like rally like what's like (laughs) yeah, yeah, like we're gonna get this person this person We're gonna add everyone and that's kind of what it felt like like we've got our protagonist And now we're gonna start filling around like that circle around that protagonist and you felt like dancer and harmony specifically We're gonna be there and again. This is the first time reader experience Uh, obviously a lot of hindsight now, but yeah, I, I mean, it's almost like a bummer that they both kind of went off. And if you read Book Four, like you know, really off. Like, right. Um, so from where they started out here, because you thought they were Dream Keepers with Darrow too, mm-hmm. and then you find out their their allegiances are to different things.
0: Yeah. Well, the allegiances didn't really change. The story just passed them up. I, I guess so. That's a,
2: yeah, that's why I phrased it earlier. But you're you right; know? their allegiances were not. Changing, but they weren't evol- Like they were right. evolving because with the other story.
0: In the beginning, of course, they were great motives. Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to oppressed people to rise. Like not mm-hmm. at all. It's zero problem. But when it happens, and you and you don't like your word evolve when you don't change and, and set new priorities and new allegiances, um, that's when you can run into the same problem that those two characters did.
2: Yeah. Um, before we get to Victra, we're gonna mm-hmm. talk about uh, another character that is incredibly loyal. And obviously, um, scary as hell, uh, Lilith. Oh my god! So Lilith is probably, if you're just talking about loyalty, like in a vacuum, you're just talking, and you want to, you want to take that quality and put it on to somebody in the story, like you have just this blind loyalty that she is, she is like subservient to Adrius in all its forms, and just wants to appease him and do whatever he asks, and. It's like scary and I am like, the reason I'm so terrified of Lilith and like terrified of her, like her loyalty specifically is because it just doesn't, there's no, there's no end. Mm-hmm. And the quiet character that will just go along with everything, kind of
0: be in the shadows. That is a terrifying character. I watched recently, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And part of that storyline is the Tate murder. And um, you know, I like true crime. I'm, I like it somewhat when it follows serial killers. Although I, had, I do have a limit there. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank goodness. <laughs> but, like, I think of it very much in that same kind of manner. I mean, um, Charles Manson, obviously a, a bad dude, right? Mm-hmm. And evil. But I actually don't think there's like an irrationality to him. I actually think he is just a a terrible person that takes advantage of people hmm. that manipulates them um that wants to exercise power right and, and those are kind of simple concepts um and i think adrius is very much like that you know just a bad manipulator um or a good manipulator or a good, yeah <laughs> exactly skill wise yeah uh but the people that freak me out is the manson family mm. the, because they almost seem like brainless zombies yeah you know, and, and, bought and all the way in. you you can't ration you you can't like rationalize with these people. You can't talk they're just gonna stab you and and have like be in this trans state from the power of Manson. And that's exactly how I see Lilith. And that's why, out of all the characters in the entire story, she freaks me out because she is in fact extremely loyal to a terrible object.
2: Yeah. It's like, and that's yeah, holding that question again, is loyalty a good thing or bad thing up to these characters, and then going, well, that's like objectively just a bad thing to be, it, it's objectively bad to be so loyal to something without any questions. Right. And so this is, I think the cool thing about Victra is that she's kind of the inverse of Lilith. She's still very loyal, but she has that, she has those boundaries kind of set, those limits. And she says it best here. There's a quote in chapter six. This is my favorite quote from this character. Um, One of my favorite characters as well. So in chapter six of Golden Sun, she says, If one day I become your enemy, I will tell you and I will tell you why. I feel like this embodies everything you know about a character. Very rarely do you get introduced to someone new in a story and you get a single sentence that you can feel like frames up the entity or the entirety of a single character. And that's why I love it. And even then, even in this quote, it strikes me, even though it doesn't mention the word loyalty, there's nothing loyal necessarily
0: about it, but it still strikes me as loyalty. Tell, tell me I'm wrong. Well, no, I don't think you are. Uh, on its face, it, it does have a loyalty to it. And you wonder like, well, it literally says, I'm not going to shiv you in the side. I'm going to come around to your face, tell you why, then bury a dagger in your chest. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. sound very loyal, mm-hmm. but it's the first part of it, right? It's that She's making this very conditional. If one day I become your enemy, right? Mm-hmm. She is saying that she, in fact, is not an enemy, right? She's declaring that. She's declaring her her honesty. And she is also displaying that she, like you said, when you, when you set it up, that she has limits, mm. right? She is similar to Lilith in the extremes of her loyalty. I mean, Darrow... You know, you have Doxaganymede, you have a couple other kind of questionable acts. And she's right by his side like yeah. the entire time. So we know ne- we don't know. And and Pierce never frames up where that line is with Victra. Mm-hmm. But I take her at face value when she says here that there is a line that can be crossed eventually, unlike Lilith. And that when it does, I'll become your enemy. But until then, like that that first half is just explaining that I'm with you.
2: Yeah. There's something very interesting about this character, Victra, that, um, that is very different from a lot of the studies and a lot of the podcasts we've done prior in this in this series. So, especially in the Ragnar episode or the Cassius episode we did, so like, again, strength, honor, and love, they all have these big moments, like, again, Severo, Ragnar, and Cassius, these big moments inside the book of Morningstar, and that's what we're using mostly, I would say, like, 90% of what we're talking about. We're talking about the whole first trilogy because we're kind of trying to answer the question, what is the dream of EO? That's the underlying thesis of the entire series. So that takes place possibly in book one, I, we guess right now. <laughs> but in, in Morningstar, that's the majority where we're spending our time in. And they have these big epic moments, like just huge moments of like, of belief and like, again, love and strength and honor. And, and it makes you just so endeared to the characters. Victor doesn't really have like a Morningstar moment. She doesn't kind of steal the spotlight for a second and be like, throw down like, boom, here I am. In fact, like her, like it, the reason why I think is loyalty is something that you don't display like once. And you can, there can be a grand gesture of loyalty that can exist and that those things are good. But true loyalty, I think is something that it navigates through a course of time. It, it, it stands up like through trials, through battles, through things and, it, and it, it's perpetual. And But there is that one gesture that we've talked about on a podcast a, a while ago, but I want to revisit it because I think it's really important. Um, chapter 51 of Golden Sun. Victra, you know, it, it's in the garden. Everything's going haywire, like upside down. You know, Adrius is going full Adrius, just kills Nero. Um, you know, kind of uh, Lornau Arcos just just passed away. And then Antonia uh, grabs a, a gun and then shoots her sister, her own sister, in the back twice, and it severs her spine, her spinal cord. Um, you know, Darrow describes the moment like this. He says, "Victor manages to crawl to my ankle. A slick of blood shadows her path, where she was shot. In the place where she now curls, red on her lips. I can't feel her touch. I didn't know." She says, "Darrow, I didn't
0: know." Hmm. It it's an amazing scene. I mean like you said i i agree with the idea that definitionally you know loyalty can't be a single event i mean you said it could be a grand gesture but like um you know if if it only serves you it's not really loyalty so mm-hmm. i think that has to be proved over a sequence of events like you said um so if any there if any like scene does stick out as the poignant scene it's absolutely this one mm-hmm. and it's kind of crazy to think about because like, any person, you know, you watch slasher films or, or, you know, anything that involves, like, a murder scene or anything like that, right? And and anyone who has that streak of blood that's crawling is crawling for the door. Yeah. They're crawling in the opposite direction of the killer and getting out of dodge. But Victra actually consigns herself to death here. Now, it's just, a like, a happenstance that she doesn't. But she is completely, in her mind, I believe, going to die. Yeah. And she uses that and gives up that ability to crawl away, possibly to safety, just to tell Darrow that she had no clue this was happening and she's not a part of it. That's, yeah. that's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. I There's a part of it that um,
2: I kind of have trouble with. You know, you think about there's different sides of what's happening here, too. And you have to kind of I, I, I like to try to go into what other characters are seeing or what other characters even do. Like, just play the scenarios out. And. I thought about this a little bit ago. Like, um, I don't know why, but I just came up in my mind. I was like, would Darrow do this for Victra? No. No, And
0: it, it, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking in a way. It, yeah, I mean, you can look at it that way. I would, I would challenge you to spin it in a different way and, and try to understand the perspective because in Darrow's mind, it's not that he doesn't like his friends or he doesn't think they're important. Mm-hmm. Darrow views himself, now whether you do or, or or the viewer does or anything like that or listener, um, as EO's dream, right? He believes he mm-hmm. is EO's dream. He thinks he's the dream keeper. He believes that EO is still encapsulated and he has to carry it forward. And above everything else in this entire storyline, that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. So you better believe he's he's the guy crawling for the door because yeah. he has to act in self-preservation because he believes if he dies, the dream dies with him. It's just, it's just
2: like, again, though, going back to the scenario, like, you know, where if it's, if the roles are reversed, he isn't ultimately a self-preservationist. Like that's mm. who Darrow is. He, and he, cause he, he, believes he has to be, but Victor is doing this just because it, it's, she, she pledged her loyalty to him a long time ago. And she doesn't even know who this guy is. Like, she doesn't know that he is red. He has, he has kept her at arm's length for the duration of this book yet her undying loyalty is there. It's ever present. It is a showing up in these moments. And I even like went in the head and thought, does he do this for anybody else? Does he do it for several? Does he do it for Mustang? I think maybe only Mustang. Mm. I don't think he does it for anyone else. And it's, it's just a weird thing to realize that like in that, when you put it in that way, in that context, again, it's interjection and they were just speculating here, but still like how valuable are his friends to him? Like, and like, if he's, if he's, he put, push Roke aside and look where that went. He pushed Tactus aside look where that went. He pushed Victor aside and she's the outlier. She actually still comes back. She actually still makes this effort. She crawls towards him and says, I didn't know. And whereas like, where, you know, the other two, they saw the door and they're like, peace. Because this, this like Tactus on the, on board of the stork, when the stork was chasing them out of, out of Luna, grabbed Lysander peace mm-hmm. done out like roke you know like with I, I was same same kind of event because that's where uh quinn faced her end and then we know from like backstory that's what uh roke said like it was that was that moment i was out i was done you know and and also all the times that Darrow just pushed him away pushed him away this character of Darrow, you can question even his loyalty you can bring that up it's like and and it goes to say like you know, that's why Darrow doesn't mention himself at the end of Morningstar. He just says, I will take my son on my knee and his mother and I will tell him of the, basically the qualities and the character of these people. He 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 can't invoke himself. He's too flawed. He didn't exhibit loyalty when he had every chance to, but he thought of himself as a dreamkeeper. He thought of himself and he had to believe in that self-preservation. But again, like, it just, it still feels really weird. Like, I don't know why. I just, it
0: left me like with the, it just has a bad taste in my mouth. Well, I think anytime you see a grand gesture like this from a character that's not reciprocated, right? Where mm-hmm. you, you have that kind of fourth wall, like knowledge that he's lying to her. He's deceiving her just like he did his other friends. He's manipulating the situation for his benefit. And she doesn't know he's a red You know, she, she actually thinks that, I mean, whether or not it matters, she thinks she's dying for somebody else in this moment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this is, let's, let's bridge these two moments together. So we're going to, we're going to fast forward. We've been, we've been in chapter 51 of Golden Sun. Let's go a full calendar year later in the story and then go into Morningstar now. Morningstar chapter 12, after they both escape Attica through through the help of Trig and Holiday, um, they have a finally get to have a, a get together, you know, uh, De- Desrail. Um, <laughs> That's what you said yesterday. Yeah, I know, Desrail. Darrow was tortured in the box beneath uh, Adris's, basically, you know, dining room table. Right. And then Victor was held in her own like box, much bigger, but was tortured in sound and light. And so they're finally kind of reconnecting. And Victor has this quote. Very, I think this is an iconic quote for the character. But she says, "Why would I care what you were?" I care about what people do. I care about truth. If you had told me, I wouldn't have done a single thing differently. I would have protected you for the longest time. I looked at that quote as, "Wow, look at Victor being so virtuous. Look at her, uh, you know, look, saying like, you know, colors don't matter to me. If you were a red, like that's cool, I'm down with reds. If you were a blue, I'm down with blues too. Like it just on face value, that's what it felt like it carried to me." I felt like that she um, cares more about just like who people are rather than like their color. Um, Now I look at this as more of a scolding Mm. where Victor is saying like, I wouldn't have cared, man. Like I told you I didn't care. I told you in chapter six of Golden Sun. I told you if one day I become your enemy, I will tell you and I will tell you why. But he didn't believe her. He never believed her. She, he never took her at her word. And it's just such a fault because uh, Daryl is that unreliable narrator. We've talked about that numerous yeah. times. Pierce Brown has talked about that numerous times, but it's just infuriating when you get to the point where you're like, <laughs> it's like, dude, like she, she, and she doubles down on it. In that quote, she's like, I wouldn't have done a thing differently. I would have, she actually goes, I would have protected you. If you told me you're a red, I would have been down for it more than you even know. And he kept her all the way out. Like, he, he shut her out. He let, he let uh, Ragnar in, which is a good choice, right? Yeah. Let Severo in, a good choice. He, but that's, like, through the duration of Golden Sun, that's, like, all he really lets in from the outside. But this one character that was there telling him exactly who, like, who she was, he's like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that one.
0: Yeah. Why? I don't know if we can answer that, but, you can't, but yeah, you know, when I first read this or the first couple of times I read this, I saw exactly what you saw. I just saw Victra making this kind of on its face statement that, um, you know, like you said, she doesn't care about color. Uh, and I think like, I think that's true. You know, I, I do point. take her to her word. I, I think that there's this like like uh, kind of duality to Victra where, you know, she wants to be this big, tough She wants of, to be a badass, wants to be yeah, tough, yeah. exactly. So I think she says some things in the book that to some degree counter this or at least uh, put it in, in kind of the fringes. Mm-hmm. But I think her actions speak to this uh, as face value true. Um, when you brought that up though, that it's sort of a call and response to that first quote we read. Mm-hmm. And I saw what you were talking about it it hit me and I was like, oh my gosh, it totally is. And it made me think of Rogue. Mm. Because like you said, she has some similarities with with uh uh with Lilith mm-hmm. in, in in that she kind of like you said, got boxed out. She was an incredibly loyal person, similar to Rogue, different motivations, obviously, but a similar loyalty to rogue and Roke's response to getting shut down out was very different but in this one she's still with him right she hasn't hit that that line that we said is never defined yeah but it's not this she's still with him she hasn't turned on him and but she kind of backhand slaps him and says what's wrong with you dude i told you i was going to be here yeah she victor
2: is the flip side of the coin of both in some ways lilith and roke right like she's the friend that that uh sticks around and, and guts it out with you, but there is that line. We just, again, we don't know where that line is necessarily. So um, pick on on Daryl quite a bit in this episode so far. But um, we love him. But we do love him. And <laughs> I've said this many times, and I'll, um, I mean, I don't know how many times I've said it on, this, on the podcast. So I've said it in our Patreon feed quite a bit. Like, Daryl's my favorite character in the story. Victor is actually my number two favorite character. The, but the reason why Daryl's my favorite character is because of how flawed he is. Like, mm-hmm. truly. I know that makes, like, a lot of people are like, why? It's because... We're a lot. We're all a lot more like Daryl than we care to admit. Like we, he's the most human character. Right. Like it's like he's fundamentally flawed. Like I am fundamentally flawed, and I I I can like, and I'm gonna mess up way more times than I'm gonna ha- like do the right thing because that's my my nature, my human nature is to <laughs> is to do things in my own self interest or in Daryl's case, my own self preservation. Mm-hmm. And like that's how we think. That's how we operate. But the, what the cool thing about is the characters that surround him, like Victra, is that they actually are counter to that. They're counter to who Darrow is, like several being that loving character, like the undying sacrificial love character. And then also like Victor here, just sold out loyalty that makes sense for who he is and what he needs really great character. Yeah. But so I want to recorrect and kind of give Daryl like kind of lay off him just a second here because he does have a response to this quote in chapter 12, where she said, I would have, you know, she doubles down, and says, I would have protected you because I care about truth and I care about these things. Um, Daryl says, I truly do believe we choose who we want to be in this life. It isn't preordained. You taught me loyalty more than Mustang, more than Roke. And because of that, I believe in you Victra as much as I've ever believed in anyone be my family and I will never forsake you I will never lie to you I will be your brother as long as you live He does finally It's see about it.
0: time It's yeah he does, yeah it's about <laughs> time
2: he finally sees it mm-hmm. he finally understands it that I think that quote Again, with the call and response or like the, you know, the, the quote in the distance of, from Golden Sun, if I one day become your enemy, I will tell you, I'll tell you why in this quote now, where she's kind of almost drumming it back up, saying like, I wouldn't have, I told you where I was at. And he's finally like, he sees it, he, re- he receives it, then he reciprocates it. It just takes him a while to get there.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of like, you you mentioned, you know, Pax coming onto his knee and him, you know, not identifying himself, but talking about all his friends. And, you wonder like, I don't know if we know when it occurred to Darrow in each instance when that character fit the mold the best. But this is completely speculation in my opinion, but I would argue this is probably the moment of realization when Darrow realizes that Victra is loyalty to the Dream of EO.
2: Yeah. I like that. Well, I want to do something a little different here. Um, You and I are private people. We don't like talking about ourselves a whole lot, but for those that don't know, uh, you and I have known each other since we were 15 years old. Um, met you like the third week of freshman year of high school. Um, so, yep. so it's like, for us, that's been over 20 years. It's been like 22 years now. Right by that big tree. Right by that, one of the big tree. Um, so like this character is really important to me, Victor is, and I mentioned she's my second favorite character, but um, both like, like Darrow, they're important to me for reasons, you know, beyond just my affinity for them within the story. They're important because they teach me things about myself, and I think Pierce Brown, because of his ability to write so well and kind of put so much so much humanity in these characters, I think we do learn things about ourselves through the story of Red Rising. And there's this term that I've really like, grown to like enjoy, and I I didn't hear very long ago. I'd say like six months ago. Chosen family. Hmm. Chosen family is a term that I. Um, I like a lot, and in fact, it's the way I see a lot of my family, people that I've chosen to be my family. Because like the whole, you know, growing up, even back in the 80s when we were growing up, you know, you get this idea of family being the father, you know, mother, son, daughter, dog kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like the nuclear family is like the kind of like the status quo family. That it, that doesn't really exist very much anymore. That, that that's, feels, it feels dated in a lot of ways. Um, but with Victra, she's making these choices to choose her family. Her mother and her have a very complicated relationship. Her sister shot her in the back, so that's a pretty complicated relationship right there. And, it, you know, it perpetuates through the story, too, as you see in Morningstar, how much, how much complication there is th- that is there. Um, but, yeah, her, fam- so her family really is kind of eradicated from her or taken from her or she doesn't want anything to do with them. All those things are true. But she chooses who her family is. And in the same way that I've kind of learned through the story and also through that term chosen family, that I I can kind of do the same thing that Victor does. And I, I've chosen you to be my brother. You know, like again, we've known each other for twenty two years and I don't think that's that's not gonna change anytime soon. And You know, you and I uh, have just kind of adopted that with each other. I mean, I talk to you. I mean, shout out Whitney. I love you. My actual sister. (laughs) I talk. I sadly talk to you way more than I talk to my own sister. And that's not because of Red Rising conversations that we have. We talk, we actually probably talk a a lot like a lot of other things way more than Red Rising because we talk almost every day. But I think it's just important to look at a character like Victor and see yourself. And then also because I bet a lot of people feel that way, right? Mm-hmm. I bet a lot of people read the story and then they have struggle with the relationships of their family, like the blood relatives, but they can identify what Victor does here and see how she chooses her family to be Severo, eventually her husband Darrow, her brother. Like he just said here, I will be your brother. And then the other characters that now that she's coming into the fold with, like, I think that's really beautiful and really genuine.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, I came from a family that was fractured, you know, in my teenage years. And I think that, you know, when you came on the scene, that was right during that time that was happening. So I think my orientation was changing to kind of that same perspective that you're espousing. And I think that it is why a lot of people identify or self-identify with Victra is I don't want to overplay like what I, when I say my family was fractured, because there are people that come from abuse, that come from abandonment and uh, other very serious things where, um, yeah, I, you know, you do have to go out and find a family. I mean, everyone needs a family, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Victor is that character that reestablishes that in a loving way. And mm-hmm. she finds full acceptance. And I think like a lot of people are looking for that, especially today, like you said, society is changing. And so, yeah, I think that people kind of treasure Victra for that line in the story.
2: For sure, 100%. Well, I want to do uh, one last thing, pivot one more time before we go ahead and wrap up the episode, um, is go back to the Dream of EO. This is our last kind of character study that we've done. We've we've talked about it many times. We've done Rage of Ares. We've done Strength of Ragnar, Honor of Cassius, Love of several, and now The Loyalty of Victra. But I want to talk of kind of keep going with the conversation of what is loyalty specifically to the dream of EO?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a big question. And you know, when you, when you look at loyalty, like we kind of set up before, I think we often think of loyal to a person, right? And I think we also think of it in terms of how much, right? Mm -hmm. So we think that, well, Victor is named. She must be the most loyal character to Darrow. But I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. And and I think maybe a better way to look at it is like the most clear-eyed or, or clear-visioned character. Because unlike the other characters, I think it's Victra who first is able to look back and see Severo, see Ragnar, uh, see Cassius, right? And understand those good and bad qualities and be able to delineate between those. And what she ends up seeing is, is that these characters inside of the context of the rising inside of setting up a fair and equal society are becoming like perfect images of Mm. each of those traits. And at that point, you know, you have this succession of things. And I think Pierce didn't do that on accident. I actually think that the, the, the traits are aligned for a reason. Sequenced. Yeah, and like you said last week, love, right? The the last one we talked about is the colander. It's the filter that everything is through. So, Victor is able to utilize that, right? And then the end product is the last trait that Pierce names and that's loyalty. And I think what it really becomes is like this absolutely irresistible pull, like a tractor beam toward those perfect representations of those traits. hmm I think, like, if
2: you were to, in, on this table we're sitting in front of right now, if you were to somehow, I mean, I know you can't, but if you're somehow to put down what we talked about in each episode, we talked about rage as righteous indignation, then you're put down strength as altruism. If you are put down, um, I believe we said honor as justice. Mm-hmm. And then finally, love as sacrificial love. That's right. And you saw them all on the table right in front of you. I know those are, these are very, you know, they're not tangible things you can grab, but if you saw them all in front of you, I think that's what Victor does. I think she does somehow see them in front of her through the rising. She sees the best that it can be. And that's why she wants to join. That's why she chooses this family. But I would, I would want to extrapolate that further out and say, like, if I saw those things on the table, or if you or hopefully anyone listening saw those things on the table, that you'd wanna grab those things too. You'd wanna to be in, in, in stride with these characteristics and, and take them on as part of your life. And I think that it, it's just like such a beautiful sentiment. And I think Pierce Brown does put it, does put this character in the story for that reason. I think he does put the dream or like those qualities of the dream in a sequence because of that loyalty comes last loyalty is the thing that holds it's like a ribbon that kind of like you have all these like different things these four things right here but he loyalty what Pierce Brown does is he grabs a ribbon and he puts them together and he ties like a bow on top of all those things and that's the loyalty that binds all three things or all four things together and then yeah. loyalty being the fifth thing I think it's beautiful we, we mentioned earlier that um in a prior episode I think it was the rage one I could be wrong that each of these qualities is actually like a a puzzle piece and you have to kind of place them all in their proper spot and once you place them in the proper spot you get to see the dream of eo in its full form but in each of these characters get to bring forward you know their piece and that's what makes it up and that's what makes it something worth wanting something worth striving for there's a there's a faction of red rising uh fans that haven't read iron gold or dark age and i honestly in weird in, in a weird way i don't blame you like, I don't blame you for, we not wanting or not like choosing not to read those books or maybe you will, but you haven't yet because, um, this, this is the way this book ends. This is with these things, with these qualities on full display at, at their, in their highest form. And I, I just like, you, you can't capture much, a much more beautiful image than that.
0: Yeah. And I think like you said, the ribbon, right. And it's like, I love that Victra because of our draw to her is the character that pierce uses to show that loyalty is not essential to but a product of Mm -hmm. the other traits and therefore belongs still inside that dream i think it's just wonderful
2: thank you guys so much for joining us for this last character study episode that we've done in the dream of eo series we've got one more episode to go that has got to completely wrap up the entire dream of eo series um, it's been a journey. We've, we've it's been like we've been doing these for a little while now, and even like our lives have changed through the process of talking about these things. Like these conversations for us have been deep and have like, I think, expanded my ability to enjoy the books more. But also, like I said, like I'm learning things. I'm gleaning things about my own identification through characters like Victra and and Darrow and and others and it's just like it makes the story makes the conversation all the richer to have with you
0: it seems like it went fast but at the same time there were some of these items that we just labored over because (laughs) we were very clear we didn't come in thinking we had the answers we wanted to find the answers along with the listeners
2: yeah and next week we're going to go back and reflect on that prologue episode we Mm -hmm. did did we find the Dream of Eo in one of those things that we mentioned on that episode or are we finding it elsewhere because Uh, I don't know yet. So I'm excited to, again, we always use that word. We're excited to... We're always excited. Yeah, we're always (laughs) excited. People think we're the most excited people of all time. Um, No, but uh, we are looking forward to um, going back and wrapping up this entire series with all of you. And we hope to hear your answer, what you think the Dream of EO is. And you're going to hear ours next week. So until next week, hail Reaper. Hail Reaper, everybody.
1: Hail Reaper is produced by Philip, known as Oracle. Jeremy, known as Checkmate, and Mathar, known as Broadcast. It's beamed to you across the airwaves all the way from Deep Grave Studios. Our intro theme was composed by Mathar. The track you're hearing now is Grey by Sahab. Our broadcast visuals were created by the amazing Leslie Ray. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. Dream of EO never would have happened without the support of some gory damn fine howlers. They're all part of our incredible Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with the rest of the pack over on Discord. Visit patreon.com slash hellreaper to learn more. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. The Dream of EO is a seven-part limited series, but if that's not enough, we host a companion show called Beyond the Veil, which will air live on our YouTube channel every other Monday during its initial run. It's a peek behind the curtain at what goes into making the show and what it takes to build a community online. You can send your burning questions about the series to hailereaperpod at gmail.com with the subject line, Beyond the Veil. This is Broadcast, signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn Reaper.